0: Try that out, so we kind of get a scale of uh, who he likes or who he doesn't. Let's figure it out. Amen. Well, I'm getting situated here. Um, I, I thought it was kind of funny. The pastor was talking about, you know, the origins of Easter. And uh, last night after prayer, we're getting in the car and Amber's, we, I don't know how we got on the subject of Easter, but she was, she told me that uh, Easter is probably the creepiest of holidays, given... She said, it's probably creepier than Halloween. Halloween's got ghosts and goblins, but you really think about Easter, it's pretty creepy. And Kalen pipes up, not as creepy as Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. So, I've got some teaching to, to do tonight. Um, I would probably call it heavy. i got really detailed things I want to get into. Um, but you're due. Yeah, I've been out, up here in a while. And uh, the way pastors scheduling things, I probably won't do this again till Labor Day. So, <laughs> let's just buckle down and, and get to it. Amen. So in Romans uh, chapter twelve and verse two says, "And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is what what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to preach your gospel, Lord. Lord, but I'm not up here, Lord, just to, to, Lord, give a a regular talk, Lord. I'm up here to preach your gospel, Lord. So I need the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, to speak, Lord, the truth, Lord. Lord, and, and all those around us, Lord, need the filling of the Spirit to receive, Lord, what you have for us, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, that your Spirit will come down upon us tonight, Lord. Lord, and, and make us new and make us into something, Lord, that we weren't when we came in these doors, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be tra- Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your of your mind. So we we must not be conformed, but we must be transformed. Now these two things, um, these two these to commandments, if you will, they become almost cliche in Christian Christian circles. You know, we just kind of say them. You know, Rodney, Rodney and I have been talking when we discuss scriptures and things. There's one thing to say a scripture, there's one thing to read it, and there's one thing to actually apply it to your life and actually understand really what it's trying to do for you. And so I am going to endeavor to, to make this into something that, to explain it to, in a way that we can receive it and be made new by the renewing of our mind, by God's word. So what do they mean and why are they so important? Uh, this word conform really is to just take the shape of what you're around, the outward shape. As you walk with something or you do things, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, when I was working with with pastor, we just started joking about the same things and we all get the, kind of the same if you notice that, we all kind of have the same sense of humor. That's what happens when you work together for a few years. You just kind of do the same thing, talk the same way. It's just something natural that you do. And that's what this word conform is, is as you walk with something, as you're involved with something, you you start to take its shape and start to take its form. And we all conform to the culture and society that's around us in one way or the other. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be. But as we are raised in certain circles, as we are, you know, grow up in certain areas, we just kind of adopt the culture that we are in. And it's, you know, I remember um, when I was a kid, you know, if you you notice uh, certain clothings that that become popular, you almost become more comfortable wearing those for some reason. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid – the, there was these two types of shirts. I can't even remember what they are. I saw one of them in Target the other day and I went, oh man, that, that wasn't as popular. Didn't really age well, that brand. But I remember my mom buying me those shirts. She'd buy a couple other shirts and buy me those specific shirts, and it just, I oh, mean, I felt good in those shirts. Why? Because the culture was approving, it gave its okay to that, that type. And we subconsciously adopt a certain look, we subconsciously adopt a certain way of talking. Uh, in just the culture that we have around us. Is everybody following me? And so it's really easy to just kind of fall into those things when you're around them all the time. And if we're not careful, we begin to take the look and the shape of them, and the look and the shape of them may not be something that the Lord necessarily is approving of. Does that make sense? And now more than ever, with the dominance of social media, and the many devices it uses to access our information, companies now shape the wants and desires of customers instead of being shaped by them. And how people view life, really, and even eternal life, kind of has the, those, you know, tinges of the culture that they're in. You know, Rodney and I have discussed that. Really, your view of God really has a almost a um, how you view your earthly father. You know, you, you kind of a look at God the same way that you looked at look at your earthly father. Well, the problem with that is I didn't grow up with a dad, and a lot of people didn't. And so we never had that natural way of looking at God, that natural example of how to look at God, and it has shaped how we view God. And if we're not careful, it would shape it in a false way to view God, a negative way to view God, in a way that he isn't actually, that he isn't actually, uh, is, um, this culture has started to demasculinize men and to really take away the influence of the father and take away the influence of family. And why is that? Because it's easier to shape a person in the culture that you want. And that's, that's what these companies are really trying to do. They're trying to shape who you are in order to buy what they want. Amen? And so we have to guard against it. That's what that conforming is. And the culture... We'll, if you're not careful, we'll sweep you up with it. And so as much as I love the American culture, amen, I love being American. Do you guys? I love a lot of the freedoms, a lot of the principles that it has. We have to reckon with, and it's been preached up here, it's going to be preached some more, that the American culture is not the Christian culture. It never has been the Christian culture. Now, there has been, you know, The founding fathers, you know, they they found this country on godly principles. True, but they didn't make a country that's godly. They just used godly principles. In fact, I don't know if you know this, I found this actually really interesting when I read about it. Thomas Jefferson actually believed that we should be voting again onto the Constitution once a generation. That it should not be a document that we keep forever. Before they wrote it, he said that every generation should be able to vote on the Constitution because it's not fair that they should be beholden to something that they didn't have any, any uh, influence over. And I know that's scary, but if you think about it, we're, nowhere, we're not even close to the culture that was back then. We're not raised the same way. We don't do the same things. We're not even the same people that were, th- that were back then. We're not even capable of having a revolution. We're not even capable of having that. You know, we're we're teaching our kids, you know, we are having trouble teaching them whether they're boys or girls or not. Back then they're learning Latin at you know Morgan's age, you know, they're learning different languages. That's how you you know, we can't do that anymore. But the culture, but the American culture is not something that we should be carrying into the Christian life. The Christian God has his own way of doing things, God has his own way of of building a society, of building a culture. And I'm sorry, I love America, but it doesn't belong here. It belongs out there. And so in Luke 9.23, it says, whoever desires to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The reason why I bring this scripture in is because we have to guard against the culture changing how we think and think changing how we view things. And so when God gets a hold of us, what's the first thing that he's going to do? Well, first we have to desire, and then we have to deny. We have to change how we look at things. We have to change how we intake things, how we receive things, and how we view things. And so God has to almost get the culture out of us, you know, get, get the way we were raised out of us, you know, get the way that we are schooled out of us in order to make us into his image. We've been conformed by something that wasn't designed by him. And so now we have to change that form into his image. Amen? So deny denotes a willing submission of our own will and of our own willpower to voluntarily subject it to the will of another. Do you follow me on that? This is really key, and this is where the heavy teaching is going to come in. There has to be a will of your own involved here. You have to willingly submit to God. If you have a desire to follow God, then you willingly give up your own autonomy in order to follow him. Without you willingly subject yourself, and any act that we do for the Lord must first come with the subjugation of our will, or else you're not doing it for the Lord. Does that make sense? Prayer, Bible study, church attendance, all must come from a place of submission born out of a desire to follow Jesus. You know, Rodney alluded, you know, he said this a couple couple weeks ago, that God is, I believe that God is more concerned about your desire than your actual actions. Reason being is if your desire is right, your actions are going to follow. They may not follow right away, but they're going to follow eventually. So you have to get that desire down. The only way to get that desire in check and that desire going the right direction is if you willingly submit yourself. Does that make sense? To being changed by the Lord. Any act that we carry out whatsoever, for whatever reason other than a desire to submit is only temporary. It's, you'll only do it for a while. At best, it's only temporary. At worst, it just becomes an illusion of righteousness that isn't actually there. It's just an illusion. It's a conformity. The key is the free will of mankind. The ability to choose from options. That ability has to come from you having options. That's why the Lord doesn't twist your arm. That's why the Lord doesn't, like, you know, give you ultimatums you know like you 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 better and I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this no you do it or you don't do it and the consequences just come does that make sense and so that's why I don't subscribe to anything that has to do with predestination because you can't deny what's not yours you know that it sounds really good to do that but it doesn't make any sense i'm go- look at how good i am i'm going to deny myself rodney's truck It's a really nice truck. It's a really pretty truck. I'm not going to take it. It's not mine to take or not take. It's his. And so if our will doesn't belong to us, then how can we deny that will? That's why predestination doesn't work. You have to willingly subject yourself to the will of the Lord if you so desire to do so. But that desire has to be there. And obedience to that, that has to come. Obedience to God has to come from that desire. Think about this. Jesus willingly subjected himself to the cross because he desired a certain outcome. He says to Pilate, "I go I no man takes my life. If I wanted to, I'd bring down angels." He had the option to call that thing off if he wanted to, but he chose to go there. You're not going to you can forget about picking up your cross and you can forget about following if you don't first desire and if you don't deny you can't pick up a cross. Jesus doesn't take up your cross for you, and you're not taking anybody's cross if you don't first deny yourself. This is is where you have an obligation. God is going to help you, but this is where you have to settle things in your own mind on whether you desire to follow the Lord or not. And, And the reason why I bring this up is because as God begins to try to Unconform you, if you will, from the world, God's going to start wanting to take away things from you and start to tear things down. And if you, and it's really going to test your desire. And so that's where we come to this, James 1 and verse 13 through 15. Because this is where really the battle is fought, is in the mind. If you want your mind to be conformed, you're fighting. Against this, let me get that scripture out, have it on this paper, James 1, 13, James 1, 13 through 15, no one is to say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts or desires in some translations. Then when that lust is conceived, it it gives birth sin, and sin, when it's run its course, brings forth death. When you're drawn away by your own desire. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, Jesus will use the same, same word, desire, this word epithemius, or this high or exalted passion or thought. He says, but the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters and chokes the word, and it becomes unfortunate fruitful. As these desires come up, what happens is, you know, they begin to take precedent over your desire to follow God. So we have, you know, so does that mean that we can't have any desires? Has anybody thought about that? So does that mean, you know, can't have any desires? Well, if we're drawn away by our own lusts and our own desires, then maybe if we don't have desires, we won't be drawn away. Does that make sense? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have wants or you can't have, you know, things that you want to do. But those those thoughts cannot take paramount place over the desire to follow Jesus. They have to always be subjected to that. So how does that work? Well, there's a difference between, well, it would be nice if we get this. Well, maybe we should work towards that. You know, I sure would like it if we maybe we saved up some money and got this. That's okay. That stuff happens. We're, we live our lives. That, those thoughts are good, those thoughts are common. The problem is when you get from that to I deserve, I have to have, or it isn't fair that I don't have. That now has become a lust that has risen itself and exalted itself above the desire for God. It exalts itself so high that it becomes an authority in your life. And so now, where does that first part I talked about America come in? Because America culture today is about driving you and your desires. Everything you see, everything you listen to is about getting your desire. Whatever it is you want, whatever it is you want to be, Whether it be natural or unnatural, you can have it. And not only you can have it, but you should have it. And it's not fair that you don't have it. And it's hateful if somebody says you shouldn't have it. That is the culture that is trying to conform us right now. It's trying to conform you, and that is the American way of thinking. Now, it may not have been the American way of thinking 100 years ago, but it is today. And if you're not careful, it's going to conform you to its own image. The moment you stop denying yourself is when that thought becomes exalted. And when it becomes, it's, it's almost, you know, what came first, the chicken and the egg. When that thought becomes exalted, you will stop denying yourself because that thought now is running the show. You know, and this is why, you know, this happens with young people, you know, you know we got a lot of young adults, you know, growing up right now, and that's a problem that, that parents have with young adults is, is a desire okay? Sure. Yeah. What you want is fine. There's nothing wrong with what you want. The problem is, is that it's taken charge. That's the problem. It's taken so, so much authority in your life that has began to change everything that you view, everything that you hear, and everything that you receive. So even when somebody's talking to you and you're trying to receive it, it all go, This thing is now filtering everything that you got. And so let's, let me give you an example of this. Let's turn to, to Luke chapter 11 and verse 21. And 21 and 22. Luke chapter 11, 21 and 22. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are secure, And when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, that man takes away his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Now, this is an interesting saying that Jesus says right there. He says this right after he got done healing a deaf-mute boy, and the Pharisees begin to call him a demon because he did that. And then he says what I just read right there. Now, that could kind of seem out of place. Why would he just open up about that after they're calling him a devil? Well, I believe this. The thought of him and their hatred for him had become so paramount in their own minds that they actually looked at him as Satan. And I'm going to tell you this. If certain thoughts get, and I have experience in the, with this, if certain thoughts exalt themselves so high, you will look at people trying to help you and you'll call them a devil. You will think they're out against you. It will warp your mind. This goods are in peace here. That's an interesting phrase. Because what it means is this guy has gathered all of these pieces and has made them whole. And because they're whole, they're secure. Think about it as a puzzle. And he's gathering all the pieces and he puts that puzzle together to create a picture. And that strong man has created a picture in your mind that you can't get away from. That you think everything you think about, everything you. You hear about it just goes through that filter, goes through that picture, and that strongman is in charge, and he is running the show. And until you bring him down, you cannot even think the right way. You can't even do the right thing. You're not even capable. You have to, but God's not bringing this person down. You have to bring him down. Now, does that mean that God's just a a bystander in this? He's not going to help you? No, he's not, he he will help you as long as you desire for him to help you. But first, you gotta repent. Right? Well, that's all repenting is changing of your mind. You gotta repent, you gotta change that mindset. You've got to allow God in. You gotta allow God to change things. You gotta allow people to have voice in your life. You may have decent desires, and they're like, they're all good on the surface. You say them out loud, and they seem good but it's their placement that makes them evil. It's the place they are in your life that makes them bad. Because any thought, benign or or otherwise, that exalts itself above, above God has become a strong man, and he is running the show in your life. Amen? So, we must repent. A Christian's life is a mindset of repentance. It isn't just some, we get down here and we repent and we call it a day we constantly have to have a mind that is prone to repent because God's ever-changing us. We are ever going out in the world. We're ever going out and working. We're ever going out and shopping, meeting family, talking to people, and that's opportunity for this world to conform your mind. And if you stop repenting and you stop allowing God to change your mind, you're going to walk away from this thing. And it's really easy to do. So we have to be transformed. In order to not be conformed, we have to be transformed. Now that transformed is that word that we all know, metamorphosis. Uh, It just means to to be changed. And what's different between the word conform and the word metamorphosis is conform is your outside appearance is changed to a certain image, but you got nothing on the inside. Metamorphosis is everything is changed inside and out is changed. And think about that. That's really what the world's trying to do to you. Trying to change you into its image and you got you're dead inside, but you look like them. You know, you talk to certain people and they've got they've got nothing going on in here or in here, but man, they talk like everybody else talks, and they do what everybody else is doing. That's conformity. Transformation is what the Lord wants to do in you. But he doesn't want to transform it just anything. He wants to transform your mind. That word for mind is is the way, it's literally your logos, your reasoning. It's the way you reason things out. That's what he wants to change from how the world reasons things to how God reasons things. That's why some things just don't make sense to the world that we do here. Why would it? They're not thinking the same way we're thinking. Their values aren't the same values that we have for a reason because we're not walking in conformity as they are. We're walking in transformation. Amen? Now, this word uh, transformation also can, you know, it has this kind of connotation of renovation. And I've had some experience in renovation. I don't like it. I don't like renovation. We renovated our bathroom, and the thing that's rough about renovation is you really never know how much you got to do until you just get in there and start knocking some things down. You know, we... uh, We looked at that bathroom and we just thought, ah, yeah, just a little bit here and a little bit there. Next thing you know, I'm calling Austin over. We're tearing down more walls than we thought we would, you know, and having to pay for a redoing of the plumbing and all that stuff because you never know. And that's what happens in our life. You don't really understand how much you've been conformed to this world until the Lord starts wanting to change your life. And then as the Lord starts tearing things down, you're going to see that A lot of things that you thought were valuable, a lot of things that you thought were good, a lot of things that you took strength from and power from, God doesn't want those in your life. God begins to divide them. How do we weaken that strong man? Well, he wants everything whole and in peace. The only way to take that down is to divide everything up so they're not in peace. They're not whole. So God can take them, break them apart, and reshape them the way he wants them to be to rebuild them the way he wants. Now there are some people here tonight, you got some things in your life that you think are good and you draw strength from. God doesn't want you drawing strength from them. He wants you drawing strength from him. He doesn't want you drawing comfort from those things. He wants you drawing comfort from him. He doesn't want you to be conformed to those things, good or bad. He wants you to be conformed, be transformed to his image. Amen? So, That's what's rough about renovation. You never really know the cost of renovation until you get going. But you have to know, like we knew, we had to do it. It had to get done. So whatever the cost is, we're going to pay it because it has to happen. Amen? Amen. So how do we hold fast? How 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 does this happen in us? Well, the Scripture says that we avenge disobedience with obedience. And that sounds great. What does that actually mean? By decreasing ourselves, he can increase, right? But what does that actually mean? It means by literally allowing the Lord to tear us down, allowing the Lord to to break up, to weaken that strong man. So how does that happen? Let's do a little exercise tonight. If the Lord wants to really take you down a peg or two, how's he going to do it? How would he do it? I'll tell you how he does it in me. Make me have to listen to somebody. I want to, who in here loves being told what to do? There isn't a soul in here. Now, there are some people that are more prone, you know, don't mind it as much, but they still would rather not be told what to do. My daughter, Kaylin, she a, she's a good kid, good, obedient kid, but there are some times when she's like, nah, no, I don't want to do that. But that's how the Lord is going to deal with you and deal with me, is by putting people in your life that you have to be obedient to. What good is being obedient if there's nobody to be obedient to? God's going to put, if, if avenging disobedience with obedience works, then you have to have somebody in your life to be obedient to. Well, I'm obedient to Jesus. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that sounds really good to be obedient to some somebody that nobody else can hear and nobody else can, you know, I hear my own, the Spirit of the Lord and, you know, nobody else can really hear it. So you don't really know if you're being, you're not accountable really. Does that make sense? You know, there's lots of people that say, you know, hey, I don't think you should really do that. Well, the Spirit of the God, you know, told me to do that. Well, it's funny because the Spirit of God's in me and you're saying it's in you and the Spirit of God's telling me the opposite of what he's telling you. So one of us isn't hearing the Spirit of God. But the Lord puts people in your life to be obedient to because that's the way that the strong man comes down. That's the way that he becomes weak. And so I want to I want to close with this. Let's go to the last setting of Scripture. I say closing. It's the last page. So however long that takes. Yeah. Whoever is fasting, we still got 24 minutes or yeah, 34 minutes. So you're good. I won't take that. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, read 18 through 21. Oh, he's got it, okay. Wives, be subject to your husbands. That's tough. As is fitting to the Lord, that's even tougher. Husbands, love your wives. That's tough sometimes. And do not be come bitter against them listen up kids children obey your parents in everything for this is pleasing to the lord and fathers do not antagonize your children that's really tough for me so that they will not become discouraged the lord kind of put you know put the scripture in my heart that this is the this is like a circle of obedience right here I was teaching this in class, a circle of obedience, everyone obedient one to another. Isn't it interesting that God wants to bring obe—wants to you to obey, and so he's going to bring people in your life to be obedient to? That is the family. The family is the perfect picture of people being obedient one to another. So, what happens? So, yeah, so the wives, wives will submit to the husbands when they love them, right? Well, one is not contingent upon the other. The reason why I say that is because if one was contingent upon the other, it would mean that God isn't really in it. But you're not doing this because of your husband wives. Husbands, you're not doing this because of your wives. Children, you're not doing this because of your parents. You're doing this because you love Jesus. You're doing this because you desire to love Jesus. Because guess what? There's going to be some times when I come home and I'm not going to be as loving as I should to my wife. That does not absolve her of being submissive in the home. There are some times when my wife is not going to be so great. That doesn't mean I get to stop loving her. That doesn't mean I get to stop cherishing her and valuing her. Kids, your parents aren't perfect doesn't mean you stop being obedient. It's there to teach you obedience. It's there to create in you an obedient mind. That's what it's there for. That's what it's created for. And then what is the church built upon? Families. Because when the family is obedient one to another, it can now teach the children and teach The individuals how to be obedient to their pastors and to the leadership to show obedience. You got to teach your kids obedience, parents. You have to. I was telling this in class if you don't don't teach your kids obedience, if you allow them to run roughshod, that's going to work for a while. That's going to, you know, it feels really good when you could just, you know, take your hands off the wheel. And I sometimes do that. Yeah, let them be kids while they're tearing up the yard, you know. and while they're That's good for a while, but eventually your kids are going to learn, have to learn to be obedient if they're going to even make it in this world. The real world, let alone a life of Christ. Because at some point they're going to have to submit themselves. You know, and sometimes, you know, we raise our kids the way they should, and sometimes they still walk off. Well, that's where that willingness comes in. That's where that willpower comes in. They have to have their own free will. I you know raise up a kid child the way they should go and they it will not depart. It will not depart from them, doesn't mean they won't depart from it. It just happens. If it weren't the case, you know, it'd be a lack of will. They wouldn't get a choice. Well, they have a choice, and sometimes they choose wrong. That's but that doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean that we conform our family structure to try to keep kids from leaving. We don't do that. Preach the word, we preach obedience, we teach it in our home, we teach godliness. And we allow them to make the choice. You know. Think about it this way, this word metamorphosis, and I'm, I'm ending with this. Metamorphosis, we think about the butterfly and the cocoon. But I was thinking the Lord kind of dropped this into my heart. We never really talk about the caterpillar. Cuz the caterpillar is how it starts. A caterpillar consumes. That's all it does. A caterpillar is very destructive. We don't like caterpillars. They tear everything up. They're all about consuming. That is the world we live in. That is the way we come to Christ. Is a mindset of consuming. It's a mindset of just overwhelming desire. But if you will allow the Lord to put you in this cocoon, and what cocoon is that? The cocoon of the family, the cocoon of the church. When you allow yourself to be in, you submit yourself to that, then the Lord begins to completely transform you into something else. What does a butterfly do? A butterfly doesn't consume. A butterfly helps pollinate. It helps create. It helps grow. That's what the Lord's trying to bring us into. But if we don't allow ourselves to be submissive, if we don't allow ourselves to be obedient, if we don't learn it, if we don't value it, then we will just go on consuming. Amen? Amen. Pastor?